I'm not sure if you read the, it's by Elizabeth Gilbert. I can't remember if it's the signature of all things, but in, in the book, the essence is inspiration comes to you. It's a living thing. That really struck me when I read that a few years ago. And I thought, I do think that often my parking lot is getting so big of the ideas I could do. I'm going to lose them to someone else. I, I have so much to bring to the world and I want to bring it to the world. So I figured out I'm in my own way. And that's my big, what am I doing? I, my business is successful. I need help. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show, where I shine the spotlight on female owners of growing small and medium-sized businesses. You're in the right place if you want to ditch the stress and firefighting, stop working too many hours, despite having team members, and never compete on price again. I'm Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv. I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners hire me to help them to build a business they could sell tomorrow, but they probably don't want to because it's highly profitable. It's fun to run because they and their team are in creative flow and they get to make a bigger impact on the world. In every episode, myself and my guests share the strategies, stories, and wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to She Leads Business. And today I am delighted to have as my guest, Elizabeth Ruth. Elizabeth runs a marketing services company and I am so happy to have her here. We've got some very interesting things to talk about. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about what it is that your company does. At ER Marketing Services, we design marketing strategies. We also write content for your website, your blog posts, your emails, and your social media posts. We maximize your content. So we will take, for example, a blog post and that will become several social media posts, which also becomes an email or a newsletter because we recognize that entrepreneurs don't have a lot of time to show up in their marketing, but it's essential these days to be digitally marketing your business. This way we can get one original piece and maximize your efforts. Absolutely. Repurposing. We want to be leveraging our time and everything that we do for sure. Absolutely. So Elizabeth, obviously you didn't come to this business like, boom, there's your business. So where did things start for you? Where did you grow up? I grew up and I still am in the Toronto area of Canada. I love Toronto. Yes. It's one of my favorite cities. <laughs> I haven't been there for a long time, but I've been there twice and I really loved it. It's like for me growing up in Dublin, it has the kind of buzz of Dublin and but it's still chilled. Yeah. Is it still like that? It's a long time since I've been. It's been getting busier. I grew up in a suburb of Toronto, Scarborough, and now I'm an hour west in Kitchener, Ontario. So I haven't, every time I go, it's different. However, in my 20s, the best opportunity, I worked at a college, the Ontario College of Art and Design, right downtown. It was such a great opportunity to get into the culture after working, go to the bars <laughs> just down the road. So that was really cool. Yeah, it's hopping. I love it there. Wonderful. And so tell me about what was life like for you growing up? Were you part of a big family, small family? I have two younger brothers. My parents are still together. Nothing really significant. When I was in Scarborough, our extended family was quite close. We'd always get together for coffee and cake for birthdays or just because. And that was really nice. I do miss that now that 
everyone's older, has their own families, and we've moved to outside areas because Toronto is getting more expensive to live in. So we've either gone east or west. We've dispersed a little bit. But yeah, that was my favorite memory is always getting together with the extended family. It's part of the cycle of life, isn't it? That we grow up and we're not necessarily so close anymore and the geographical changes. It is nice, though. I do like when family get together. That's one thing that I also miss being Mm -hmm. here. Yep. I can resonate with that. So when you were in school, what was your favorite subject? English. I have an English degree, BA honors. So I went all in on English. (laughs) I like to read. I like to write, tell stories. That is partly why I started the business because it touches on all of those. Sharing stories is what I'm all about. I love Netflix series and movies, especially the ones that are trilogies and audiobooks. I'm always listening to something. All about the stories. Yes. That's what connects us though, isn't it? Stories. It sure is. Yes. And maybe that is a thread from my family gatherings that I miss. I do miss those connections. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you left school, what happened next? This is many years ago. (laughs) When I left, I decided that I wanted to work in an industry that I could give back to. So I went into the fundraising industry and I worked at the Kidney Foundation. When I first started, I was an event planner. I helped with their fundraising campaign. I had an area for their door-to-door fundraising campaign that I, I got volunteers for. And then I realized the charities don't really pay as much. How can I find something that will pay me well, but still give me the feel good helping people. So I worked for Ketchum Canada, also known as KCI now. They've rebranded and they're a fundraising agency. So I spent that part of my life being a campaign director and I worked with universities and hospitals on their capital campaigns. I was charged with raising hundreds of millions of dollars in my mid-20s, moving along with the influential and affluential members of the community, it was an amazing opportunity. I learned so much on how to interact with people, project management. It was a really good, really good learning curve. You must have had some very interesting meetings and people that you met. Who stands out from that time? I'd say... David Johnston was the president of one of my last campaigns at the University of Waterloo. He became the governor of the governor general of Canada. So that was really interesting. I was in meetings with him. I was not the head campaign director at that time, but just in the moment, it was fun, the work, but also afterwards, seeing where people went with their careers, with their choices. Wow, I actually was in meetings before he was with the governor general. That was really interesting. And there have been several other examples of I knew them when, I guess. Yeah, so that was that that was very interesting. And again, looking at I followed his career because I really liked him as a person and was inspired by him. So following his career and just seeing that, I took to heart some messages or highlight, oh, what did he do? How did he get to where he is? He was the president of a university. What was he before? What did he become? Why did he choose that? I'm, I love to, the story thing, I love to study people. 
and see that. So watching their journey and their choices and wondering, I wonder if that's his ultimate why or what he ultimately wanted to be. I just, I find that so fascinating, people's choices and where they go with them. Totally. I remember being a child and looking up at adults and going, why did you do Mm -hmm. that? (laughs) So I think there's, I think in all of us who are fascinated by people and stories, I think there's a little detective Trying to unpack the why or the how. (laughs) I think those are my two big questions. How did you do it and why? (laughs) So do you like detective shows? Love them. Yes. And do you pretty much guess who it is every time? Yeah. I'm pretty good at picking up the clues or what? Was that a red herring Mm. or was that really a clue that they're showing us in behind the scenes or a close up that they zoom into? (laughs) I was pretty good at it. And then I, I acted professionally a number of years ago. And as part of that, to build up a showreel and things like that, I ended up getting involved in make, writing and making short films. So I've actually got Save the Cat and some other books like that about script writing. And it, it, it does ruin you as yes, a watcher. Yes, it does. I sit there with my husband and we watch things and I've got to the point now where I'll, I'll tap out onto my phone who I think did it. And then when it comes to the end, I'll shove that in his, yeah. not shove it in his face, but I'll go, I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he gets fed up if yes. I tell him, you see, so I wouldn't like them to tell me. Spoilers are not no. good, are they? <laughs> Takes away the surprise. Because yep. <laughs> even if you guess it, you still don't know until the very, very end. Have you yes. got it right? And that's part of the storytelling, isn't it? Is the anticipation, it's the wanting to finish to get to that point. And we can definitely incorporate that into our businesses for sure. And I just want to go back to David Mm. Johnson. So living here in the UK, he's actually not someone who I'm really aware of. I'd love to know, what is it about him that inspired you? I liked how he treated people and how I felt when I was in his presence. I didn't feel like a minion one of many worker bees, I felt that he saw me. And I do try and do that. That comes back to the connections as well. And what I try and offer my clients in my business, I do an interview style approach. I connect with them in person. I draw out their story. I see them. I hear their story. I'm interested in their story. I truly am. And that through that conversation, it lights them up as an entrepreneur. It reminds them because some days if you're an entrepreneur, it's not all happy go lucky. It's not all ups and it's ups and downs. It's not all, woo, I'm on top of the world. No. (laughs) Okay. That worked. And then you have a crisis or a fire to put out and you're like, why am I doing this? I need to go work at Walmart or a big box store. So I don't have to deal with all of this inconsistency. So I liked how he made me feel. And I like to model that in how I treat my team and how I interact with my clients as well. Love it. I couldn't agree more. That reminds me, I met Stephen Covey, not the seven habits, Stephen Covey, but his son who wrote The Speed of Trust and exactly the same thing with him. He was so present with every single person. You just felt seen, you felt heard. Yeah, absolutely wonderful to watch. And yes, very inspiring. That's great. I'll have to look him up. Yes. Sounds very interesting. So how did you get from being a campaign manager in this fundraising agency to where you are now? Did you leave there and set up your business or was there something else in between? No. So that was my mid-20s and I got married. We started a family and decided 
I would stay home and raise the children because that was important to me. My mom had stayed home. My husband's mom stayed home and raised him. So that was just part of our values and what we wanted to offer our children. And also with the cost of daycare, by the time we had more than one child, it would have been one of us just working to pay for daycare, essentially. So we decided that I would stay home. And through that time, being type A personality... (laughs) I joke that my sec, I have two children and my youngest, I joke he's actually my fourth because I had started a daycare <laughs> in between. My kids are 22 months apart. So my daughter was still one and I needed, she just needed a lot of engagement and a lot of energy from me. And I thought, well, what about if I take in a child or two? I wasn't sure if it was going to be for me. So I started with one, added a couple, and then my son was born. And the next thing you know, I have five kids plus my own, all under four. It was very busy time, but I did that for over a decade. Running the home daycare though, I wasn't just the lady who watched your kids. No, I had a Facebook group and I shared daily updates of what your kids were doing. I had lesson plans. I had meal plans. Like I was, I had a wait list for people, which was awesome. And I learned how to not only engage my existing clients so they felt good about having their children in my care, but also when it came to marketing, really if I had an opening, tapping into my network, word of mouth referrals, going to that wait list, that kept some of my marketing and my business Mm. skills sharp. So after 11 years, when it was time to close the daycare, just our family had outgrown it. I was ready for something new. That's when I closed the home daycare and started the marketing business. And if anyone out there is trying to decide, oh, I need to change careers, change what I'm doing... This took me several years to actually realize that, oh, I'm good at writing and I like stories and because it's it's, change is scary. And when the world is completely open to you, you can do anything you want. That's almost more overwhelming than someone saying, do this and just telling me what to do. For sure. (laughs) And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think as creative people, we often think that we want no constraints, yet actually that's where the best creativity mm-hmm. happens. And it's where the best focus happens as well. Yes. Is that structure, those constraints, yeah, make, makes a big, big difference. When you're in the constraints, it makes you get more creative within it to how can I push the limits of this box, think differently within what I've defined. Because when I first started, I actually was a virtual assistant is what I had decided on. And I wrote down a list of everything I could do. And I had a few clients and I did some of those things. And I realized just because I can do them does not mean I want to do them. Right. <laughs> I do, it doesn't make me jump out of bed every day to do. And from there, over time, I've honed in to figure out what works well together, What makes sense as an offering? What makes sense for my client journey to go through? 
and my mine's a circle. They can come in at any part, whether it's emails or social media. But essentially, if we can get them to have a blog post to support their social media, to support their email content, because that's the biggest question I get asked is, what do I post? I have no idea what to write about on any of these platforms. So if we have that overall strategy and then we're pushing it out on those three areas, they have more to say than they thought they did. I can imagine. It's that thing when somebody is asking you questions, when you're interviewing <laughs> your clients, you know, it's yes. then people are just answering questions. But not everybody is good at creating from scratch. And it's, it's mm-hmm. that thing about what comes naturally, our natural strengths and any kind of structure that is going to help that will make a big difference. One of the things we talked about previously was flow. And so I know you watched a training around that. What insights did you get from that kind of thinking about your past career and businesses? When I watched the flow, it made a lot of sense to me because it's true. I have a team member ask me a question. They pull me away from an email I was writing, or if I have several client meetings, but they're all on different topics, someone's doing a blog post, someone's doing social media, even though it's still content, I'm changing gears maybe a little too much. So that made me identify, okay, maybe I need to look at having certain days or certain sections of the day where it's just client meetings, but my social media clients would be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I know that doesn't work necessarily when you're dealing with other people's schedules, but it really opened my eyes to how can I be more efficient in the limited time that I have? Even if I work 24 hours a day, I would never get it all done. It's just life of an entrepreneur. There's always other projects. And I didn't mention this, but I have two other businesses as well. I have a mom blog because I love to write stories, started it when my son was born in 2008. And I have a handmade business where I knit and crochet character hats and I write children's books to tell each character's story. So as you can see, I love stories and writing (laughs) and telling them and reading them through all of my business choices. But The flow, something that I'd already observed myself too, really hammered home the point that I need to be in one business either Mm -hmm. at a time for a month or a certain day of the week so that I am just focused. I can't jump between them and do it justice. And it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when we share these concepts and discuss them, it's like, I knew that, but now I really know it. And <laughs> now yes. I'm going to do something about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've had this sneaking suspicion. It's been in yes. the back of my mind, but hadn't quite got to the level of clarity where it's you're making a decision about the way that you work. And that's very yes. powerful. So that's great. I'm really pleased that you've had that insight. And it is interesting because structuring your time differently can make a huge difference. Best case study so far is a client who freed up a whole two days a week to be able to work on growing their business. They had nobody to delegate to. So they weren't outsourcing. They had no team members at this time. It was literally ditching things that weren't working, focusing on what did and restructuring when they did things. So I would highly advise you to do that. And in fact, that's something I do with my coaching clients. We create what I call a weekly flow framework. You're getting to structure your time for best effect, for sure. Mm. Thinking about that, how do you think you're going to manage with these three different businesses then? (laughs) 
that was my big question. I'm like, okay, I know what I have to do. How do I do this? I know that my core business is my marketing agency. The other ones are passion projects. Knowing that I think was even helpful. So I know my core hours are nine until three or four with clients, potential clients. For the mom blog right now, what I'm doing is I'm updating it because when we wrote blogs in 2008, it was very different than how we write blogs now. It was more journal style. As I'm editing, reviewing some of the categories, I'm realizing yeah, I had a deadline for a post. It's very clear (laughs) that I was just like checking it off the list. So we're cleaning that up. But I feel that's going to be a shorter term project. Maybe by end of quarter two, I'd like to have it completely updated and become a passive income. So that's how I'm going to fit that in. Now I have a team. I did not have a team many years ago and that's why it never happened on the back burner, but I do have a team member who will be helping me to clean it up. So I feel that is another big part of my flow. And what's important to my, where I am right now is I'm ready for the next step where I am taking a step back so that I am not the clog in the business. I'm holding things up and I know I'm in my own way. I can't grow if I'm in my own way. And it's for all three businesses. That has been a huge learning curve for me. And that did come up in some of the videos that you shared with me, especially the flow. I only have limited time, limited energy, and it's a time or money situation. Do I want to dedicate my own time or do I want to put some money to invest in it for future income? That's where I am right now is I'm still figuring it out, but realizing I can't do it all. And my word for the year is progress. I'm trying to be gentle with myself as well. Just make progress so it gets to a point where it can run itself. And then I can do what I'm gifted at and what I love to do, which is meeting with my clients. I want to be the face of the business. I know what's important to me in the marketing agency is I want to serve my clients directly be the face of the business and not get bogged down in the admin work. I like the admin work, but I just can't do it all. You're unusual for a creative and actually liking admin work. Most creators I speak to are like, oh, get this off my back (laughs) as soon as possible. (laughs) It's not just me, is it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Now, bookkeeping, that I can't wait to get rid of. That's one of the things I'd love to. (laughs) Absolutely. One of the questions that I like to ask is like, what's a, what's one what the flip moment that you've had? And you talked about how you started your team building. Tell me a bit more about that. That was in line with what I was just saying of, oh my gosh, I have so many creative ideas and I'm the clog. They are not happening because it's me. I'm not sure if you read the, it's by Elizabeth Gilbert. I can't remember if it's the signature of all things, but in in the book, the essence is inspiration comes to you. It's a living thing. And if you don't do something with it, inspiration is going to go on to another host or whatever we want to call them, but go to somewhere else that's going to bring it to life. That idea flies from you to somebody else. And that really, yeah, because if you're not going to make it happen, I'm moving on. (laughs) Kind of like dating. You're not going to marry me. I'm moving (laughs) on to someone who will. (laughs) So that really struck me when I read that a few years ago. And I thought, I do think that often. My parking lot is getting so big of the ideas I could do. 
I'm going to lose them to someone else. I, I have so much to bring to the world and I want to bring it to the world. So I figured out I'm in my own way and that's my big what am I doing? I My business is successful. I need help. You had a group of co-op students. Can you explain what co-op students are, please? Yes, they're interns. So college level, college level students. I had three journalism interns and two marketing interns. I was at a position where I wasn't quite sure if I was ready to fully delegate. I wasn't sure about the budget. It's that tipping point that most Mm -hmm. businesses go to when they're ready to grow a team of, I have the money, but I don't have the money. It's, uh, but I need their help so that I can have the money. It was one of those situations. And also I needed, I didn't have workflows. I didn't have processes. I felt that was a safe way to test it. So I gave them projects to open. It's all about opening your mindset to new opportunities that's how I did it. So I hired them. I didn't have to pay for them. It happened to be a free program that this was during COVID as Mm -hmm. well, January, 2020 or 2021, rather. They were desperate for people because small businesses were closing like crazy in the pandemic. So they were just like, we'll pay. They need to graduate. They need the experience. You need to have help to keep our small businesses going it was a beautiful opportunity for me. I had them help me with my own business marketing. Having a marketing agency, I have to test things first on myself, which is also very helpful having the mom blog and the handmade business. We test things before we offer them as a service. They were fabulous. They helped me get my own blog posts done, figure out processes, figured out a couple different offerings and how we could do that, how to promote it in unique ways. And I'm very data over drama. That's from my own coach who says that. And basically look at the numbers, not what you remember happened or what not what you think mm-hmm. happened. And I know one of the videos you shared with me was a look at the numbers, your conversions and your leads. And if you want to increase them, you have to look at the hard data to make decisions. So based on their success, and I only had them for a couple months because interns are for shorter terms. Then I decided, no, I really need to hire someone who's more reliable as well. And that is what they do 100% of the time. I know you said one of them didn't really work out. What was happening there? One of the interns was, I'm going to phrase it this way. So I'm a mom of teens, 14 and 16 year old. And these are not much older. They're 19, 20 years old. I went in with little to no expectations. It's more than what I'm doing now their help. So I'm going to be grateful for anything that they come forward. And one of them just, I guess, life experience, immaturity wasn't showing up. I guided him and tailored to make daily meetings to support him. But unfortunately, he just wasn't there. I recognize it's also an age and a life experience situation. So that was very helpful to me in my non-expectations of I'm going to be grateful for whatever I can get. And he did do some good work. I He did do good work. He just didn't finish. I know you were saying that he was shocked when he didn't sign off on his credits. Yes. I just think what a fantastic lesson for him. And some people like you might be thinking, oh, that's mean. It's No, that's a really valuable lesson for that student. Yes. (laughs) In my opinion. It was hard. 
I feel that I did give him a lot of warnings. I checked my email. I don't know how you could be surprised. I set up the daily meetings and you're the one who's not coming and you're the one who needs them. It was a life lesson. But I think as a mentor, it's like pushing a kid who can't read through the whole school system and then they graduate and they're in our society where they need to read to function but they've been passed because nobody wanted to give them the hard feedback of, but you're not ready to move on. Yeah. So it was hard, but our job as a mentor and as a boss and a leader, as an owner of the business is sometimes to deliver unsavory news. Absolutely. I fired a team member last year and even for me, who's done so much personal development work it was uncomfortable, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of it is in how we do these things. And when if we give people proper feedback, we're looking to help them, then it, hopefully you can bring a horse to water. You can't make a drink. Personally, I, I think that's a valuable thing. And I've just seen time and time again when my coaching clients have waited too long to fire someone or still haven't fired them. And they just went, once they've done it, they're like, oh my God, that's such a relief. <laughs> now I can find another way or another person to get that work done because it actually wasn't getting done anyway. And not only has it been costing me money in terms of their salary, obviously, where it's not an intern, but actually even with an intern, like you're investing your time in training them and in managing them. It was a lot of time. Yeah. Yes. So. It's that thing about we, we really have to look at the opportunity cost yes. of keeping that person around. What am I not getting done? If we had a replacement who was doing this properly, what would be happening in the business? And people realize, oh, my God, this cost me so much money. Not to mention the knock-on effect of other people in the team. Because when they see person A is getting away without doing things, then it builds resentment because they're thinking, they're getting away with this. I'm working here. This isn't fair. That we have a promise that life is fair. It isn't necessarily fair. However, I think as a team member, no one wants to see people slacking off. Yeah, slacking off, but not pulling not their weight pulling their and weight. getting away mm -hmm. with it. So yeah, totally makes a, a big difference. I think these kinds of situations also are part of what often puts the the solopreneurs off hiring people. I think interns are a great way of starting to do that. Like mm. you said, it's a very low risk way. So we actually had a scheme here in the UK. However, during the pandemic, we were able to have six months of an intern paid for by the government. And that's a fantastic way for those first time employers to mm -hmm. be able to dip the toe in the water of being an employer and seeing what is it like and having to manage somebody. And a lot of the time I'll have creatively minded people saying, I, I don't really want to be a manager. I just want to create. <laughs> but if they want the business to get to a certain level, you've got to build a team around you. Otherwise, all you have is a job. The minute you stop working, the money stops coming in. I always think, and if that's not what people want, I say, great, just make sure you have really good health insurance, critical illness yes. insurance things like that so that if for some reason you can't work your business slash job then actually you're not going to lose that income and you're prepared for that and also it's actually how much of an impact do you want to have and for some people not that bothered about that they just want to have some part-time work maybe and do something that they love and not have a boss other than themselves great 
go for it if that's what you want. If you want to make a bigger impact, though, the chances are you're going to have to grow a team. Yes. And that is the big question that I had when I hired my team. So immediately I got spoiled with, oh, it's so nice not to have to do that. When it came back to me, I was like, oh, I don't know. So I did hire one person. Now Mm -hmm. I have a team of three, but my business has grown as a reflection of building the team. It's nice what you get used to. Indeed. It's lovely when you see, I presume you've got some kind of task management system and you just get notifications. This has been done. This has been done. Yes. (laughs) It's a very nice feeling. It sure is. And then we do track, as I said, we use me as a tester, but we do track return on investment. Okay, you spent five hours. How many leads did we get? Or how Mm. many new clients did we get? And we're constantly tweaking processes and workflow. So that's where that data is really important. They're doing their tasks, but I still have to carve out time in my day to monitor the data. I manually do it. I could probably Mm -hmm. automate it, but I find it cathartic and really telling. I think I would lose something if I automated that part of the process. But when I'm Mm -hmm. entering, why was this? Why was that? And I can really dig into, I noticed for three days in a row, you haven't met your goals. What's happening with that? Is it that you have too much on your plate and we realize, okay, we have to tweak the process. The process is broken. Or sometimes I just make up goals. I have no idea how long it's going to take. I'm like, I don't know, 50. And I throw (laughs) a number and test it. And they're like, no, 10. (laughs) Okay. I was way off on that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just curious, actually, in the flow training that I shared with you, like, where did you see yourself on the ignition compass? I saw myself in almost all of them, to be honest, except for, I think it was South. What was the South one? Sensational. So that's the very detailed, uh, kind of detailed, grounded one. Can you just summarize? I know there was Nova and that was high arching. So I'm really good at that. That's the marketing strategy. And I'm very good at planning overall. And then Nova is all about innovation, strategy, creativity, big picture. I love that. Especially when I have the time to do it, (laughs) because now my team will let me do that. South is the detail. And I'm really detail-oriented as well. So I like both of them because I like taking the concept, but then drilling it down to manageable chunks and making it happen. East was creative. So East is exuberant. So this is all the people-focused stuff. So the value there is all in conversation. And I love that because that's where I bring back the connection through the way I'm meeting with people. And I love to network. Networking is one thing. I actually want to bring networking back onto my plate. I'm testing to see, but I'm realizing, no, that's my heart. That's what I'm good at. I know my passion and how to share it. Someone else can't necessarily do that. The West is the wise fuel. So this is the introverted analytical. So whereas sensational is good at doing the detail, the wise person is very good at analyzing the detail and optimizing things and improving things. So I was really fascinated by your compass. Actually, I thought, wow, I have come so far from where I was when I first started in 2018. I had no idea. But now that has been the focus this year since I've had a team realizing that I need to focus on that because how can I prove to my clients the value we're bringing them? And how can I prove to ourselves that the business model is working if I don't have that 
data. So mm. that one is a little bit weaker. We're just starting to dig into that more because I'm recognizing the importance. It's Here's what I'd love you to take away from this is to understand mm-hmm. is that when you identify what game you're playing, then that is really powerful because then you structure your business or in your case, businesses <laughs> around <laughs> what it is that's, that has you most in flow. So you focus those growth strategies around it. The beauty of growing your team is that as you, you don't need to be the one who's doing it all. You can have someone who's better with the analytics and data doing that stuff. There's certain things that we still need to take care of, or at the very least, monitor. Okay, But yes. we don't need to do the doing of those things. I would hazard a guess that you probably have a lot of that Nova fuel. If you look at your three businesses, you got marketing, strategy, and content creation. You've got a handmade mm-hmm. business, and you've got a writing business with your blog. So the handmade is interesting. That can be the sensational as well. The kind of crafty kind of things yes. often can be that. It depends on what way you do, but the way you do it is actually a very creative way. You're not taking other people's patterns and just following them and churning stuff out. That's how a sensational person might do their crafting or their handmade business. And they just love being hands on with it and not necessarily innovating around it. But you're innovating with Mm -hmm. yours. Now, whether which one is strongest for you, then that makes a big difference in terms of how you structure things going forward. I think that probably will be very helpful for you, actually, to really understand that. I want to go back to one of the things that you talked about there, which was about tracking the ROI on the work Mm -hmm. being done by your team members. And I think this is something that when it comes to hiring, you know, first thing to get right is what is the role? And when you structure the role around a tool like Ignition, then you're focusing on, and it's interesting because I've heard people say, you shouldn't structure a role around a person. But I think what you can do is you can structure a role around the types of strengths that one person is likely to have. Because in the corporate world, what you often get is, oh, we'll have a bit of Nova, a bit of Exuberant, a bit of Sensational and a bit of Wise. That will be a wonderful, well-rounded person. Yeah. (laughs) That person does not exist. (laughs) Now, you do get some people who have a more even profile. There's always one game that they're better at playing. And that's going to have them more in flow. And they're quite rare, right, Have when they have those. And it's actually, it's a lot easier for people when they don't have that kind of a profile because it's a lot easier to see what has you in flow or not. But a lot of the time, what people have learned about what they should do, I'm doing air quotes, yeah. what they should do or who they should be. Or I remember working with one person who they came out as one profile and then it was just like no this doesn't this isn't right (laughs) this isn't who this person is and so they took the test again a few months later and they were a totally opposite profile and actually in the end with a bit more work they decided actually do you know what I'm the one even the one next to that yes even more further away than the original one why because they had worked in a very wise company. And so that they actually, they were actually an astronaut. And if you imagine it being like a clock that they ended up being put, they were 
being pulled clockwise around to that fuel, to that type of energy because of the environment they were in and what was valued. And -hmm. it was very interesting because in that role, they were very out of flow. It was really stressful for them. It was very tiring for them. It's not just about the time we have. It's about the energy we have within the time available. So when you can create a job role that's designed for a particular personality profile and advertise the role in the way that's going to be most appealing to them, then you're much more likely to have something that really works. So I did that with my interns and I've helped my clients to do that kind of thing as well, because it's just made it really clear. I profiled them all before I took them on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and things like that. So yeah, it's just one thing to to be aware is that I don't think it's ever a good idea to do a personality profile and not have a conversation with the person in a hiring situation, because that's an indicator. It's only as good as the information that's been put into it. And if like the person I just described has been in an environment and has took them months of being out of that environment to really get to be themselves. There has to be conversations as well. I don't think you can just look at it at the test and go, oh, no, you need to have that conversation. But that's why I did in the interview. And that's when you know these things, then you can do that. Because it's one of the things that can be challenging for people is where they've made bad hires. And sometimes it's not that the person was the wrong person for the company, but maybe they were just in the wrong role. Or maybe they were just being asked to do things that they couldn't possibly do all those things. I'm really grateful for that explanation because I saw the compass, but as an entrepreneur, we do have to be in touch with all quadrants, essentially, but that not may not be our gift. So I think pilot our was business does. The business does, correct. We have to make sure those roles are filled. So pilot, it was between true north and true east, I believe. And it's it's really powerful to be able to think about that and use that as well in evaluating opportunities mm-hmm. going forward. Yes. So you've already been doing a bit of that now since we first spoke yes. because you're thinking about, okay, so I know my core focus is here. This is where I'm spending the bulk of my time. This is where the bulk of my money comes from. These two other businesses are passion projects. Yes. And you'll schedule those. And also you can have some team help with one of those businesses and perhaps with the other. And I liked what you were saying about the testing. I think that's a great way to, oh, okay, I can test these things on my passion project. So then they're actually helping my core. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I love when you get to really leverage Mm -hmm. uh, opportunities around that. I know that one of the things that you did want to talk about is that you have various ideas for a course. Are you still planning to do that? Oh, yes. And this is where I believe it also comes down to with me being the face of the business, I am the clog. I only can take three clients a day and I only do it Monday through Thursday because I got to catch up on everything on Friday. I have to do the actual work from our meetings. I believe that's part of my next step to scale where yes, one-on-one clients, I love them, but how can I... And people have different learning styles and different needs. Some people need that one-on-one support. Other people are DIY. And just show me how to do it on my own time so I can learn and then implement my own team because maybe they have their own marketing department or person designated to that, but they just want to know how to do it better. So that's where the course is. And then somewhere in between, you have 
someone who still needs a little bit more guidance, but not quite ready to just listen to a course. They want that interaction and that feedback. So I would like to also have small groups. Therefore, I can still get what I love to do, the in-person feedback, teaching, and that environment of, I I get so much energy when I speak to people and I don't want to lose that. So I can support more people at a time, but I can also test out, again, testing my course. What questions are people answering? What am I assuming that they know that they really need me to slow down and unpack further? Or what am I going too slow on that most people already have a basic understanding of? So let me ask you a question. How big is your email list at the moment? It is growing rapidly, but it is pretty small but mighty. We only started growing it in November and I'm at almost 600-ish. But it's a clean list. I also go in and I clean Mm -hmm. it regularly, but I'm very happy with my open rate is definitely higher. So looking at analytics, yes, my number is small, but my open rate is 60%, which is huge. It's much higher than the average. I think industry is like 30% is good sometimes lower. I think for the industry, 30% is really good. I think people are now talking about 20-25% being average. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but who who wants to be average, right? (laughs) Who wants to be average? (laughs) Average typically is mediocre. Yes. (laughs) But it's a good good guide though. It's a good guide. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. All right. And and this is one of the key things about the differences about selling one-to-one and selling a course. Yes. And a lot of the time people don't understand the difference in numbers Mm -hmm. that are required to sell courses versus selling one-on-one services. Is that something that you have explored? Yes, that's why we are actively putting our efforts to grow the list. I want to have at least 1,200 before I launch my list or my course. Yeah, you can't sell to nobody. (laughs) Why am I going to do all the work and have nobody to sell to? So that's (laughs) how I felt that the small groups was a really good transition to test the content as we're growing the list in the background. It's like juggling and also just doing podcasts. I wanted to get comfortable speaking on video and delivering my message and answering questions before I was in charge of a group the one-on-one I felt comfortable with. I do TikToks for short video. Again, it's honing in my message, getting me comfortable speaking Mm -hmm. on camera. I watched them over and I studied how many ums did I say? I noticed I say so a lot. So I try and whenever I say it, catch myself and make a note. It's just visual little things that make you better at what you're trying to achieve. That is why I thought that I would have those as goals for stepping stones. What do you think? I'm really glad you've looked at the numbers because that's often something that small business owners don't do enough of. Mm -hmm. I've talked to so many who are actually scared of the numbers or just don't know what to look at. So so yes, if you've got 1,200 people on your list and you're getting 60% open rates, then, you know, that... That's enough to sell your first group course, group coaching. And in the me- as you're delivering that, you can be... Testing it. Yeah, you can be continuing to build from there. And of course, you have got the experience to be able to write powerful emails and get people to take action. You're ahead of the game there, as far as many people would be concerned. So I think the other question I would ask is, what would you say your market domination position is? So that's like a unique selling 
proposition? Is that another way to say? It's bigger okay. than that okay. because you've got to you've got to look at so who is my target yes. ideal client and know, obviously know them in enough specific detail mm-hmm. and you've really got to be addressing what their hot buttons are. Traditionally, marketing agencies 100% take over the marketing without any of the knowledge or the case studies, the real life examples of what's happening. So they are very much a surface level reading from your website and scraping product descriptions or service descriptions and trying to do that. By doing an interview style, I'm bringing back that human connection, not only getting the message directly from the horse's mouth, whether it's the entrepreneur themselves or a key team member who is intimately aware of those. I'm challenging by asking questions saying, okay, yeah, what does that really mean? I have a lot of event planners who I work with and they like to say, I make your dreams a reality. But then I started to challenge. I'm like, what does that mean though? That really doesn't mean anything. Let's unpack that further. And then when I start doing that, they're like, oh, okay. I can even challenge how they're explaining, but I want to know this about your product. And they're like, oh, I never thought about that. I just know it in my head, but they're not explaining it to their customers. Then I'm having that interaction with them, getting what people really want to hear about because we just assume as the business owner that we know it, that everyone knows it. Then I'm taking that same connection when we are marketing it through our descriptions, their blog posts, social media, emails, using those details, explaining it in a way that they want to know. That human, that connection is coming full circle. So I'm the bridge, the mediator between the business owner or the key team member, delivering it to their ideal audience. And it's a more meaningful connection when they're reading it. They're engaging with the post in a different way. Instead of it being, I'm reading a product description. We're asking the reader to, in a different way, telling it as a story. The event planner example, sharing. So let's say it was a wedding that they did recently and they're telling about it. I did this, I did that. Why did the client come to you? What was their request and how did you respond to it? Because everyone has different needs when they're coming to you for your product or service. And that's what we're touching on is the story behind the product or the service how people actually use it, how people find you. And I'm sure you know this yourself. People buy what they see. Often there are service industry or even product industry can do this. I can make any hat you want, but that people get confused again, just like my thing where I could do any kind of job I want was harder than do you want it in pink, blue, or yellow? And this is what it looks like in each choice. And then they can say, I want that. So through the storytelling, we are saying, do you want this? This is what Jane had. Do you want it? Yes. I want exactly the wedding that you planned for Jane and John. I think that sounds amazing. I'm not seeing that on your website, though. I do need to bump up my website. Yes. (laughs) I have actually a lot of blog posts planned to expand on that through podcasting. 
since I've done it in November, <laughs> my message has yeah. some, come so clear. And I do recognize that, okay, I don't think I have interview style on there enough. I don't think I have results enough. So thanks for pointing that out because a website is a living document, always changing. And I, Absolutely. And I do have to incorporate that. I'd love to see... You've talked about some elements of your market dominating position mm-hmm. there. I think the pulling out how to talk about the interview style and the fact that you are challenging their perception. And it's really interesting, actually, because when I'm helping people to get to their market dominating position, one of the things I often talk about is how the business owner and their teams and their clients, they have the internal reality of what actually happens and how they really help. But that often doesn't match the external perception. So case in point you know, right here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a victim of my own hey, genius. listen, it's the same for all of us. I'm yeah. in the process of updating my website and messaging at the moment, right? So I'm in this similar but different boat, yes. right? And so the thing is, I want to I want to be able to land on your website and in three seconds be able to see, oh, wow, OK, that's your market dominating position. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that is totally hitting my hot buttons or no, it isn't. I'm off, mm-hmm. which is exactly yes. what you want. I think most people, instead of trying to appeal to everybody, you want to be repelling the people who are not a good fit and you want to be compelling the people who are to take the next action. Mm-hmm. And I know you are a marketer who knows what they are doing. So I loved hearing what you were saying there. And I'm kind of like, yeah, she's on it. She, she, she knows what she's doing. It's just not coming across in, in your website. Yes. But I think that's part of what I would say. My advice would be, I think you need to get clear on your company's market dominating position mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. and then drill down into, OK, so we're bearing that in mind and what you have discovered or remembered about your clients, then thinking about, okay, in terms of the course, what's going to be the course's market dominating position? And what's the distinction between your one-to-one clients and those people? And you have mentioned one or two things Mm -hmm. in terms of their preferences, but I think there's other things as well. Look at your clients and your best clients and Maybe your course is for event planners or for a different niche. Mm. When you said, oh, the event planner said, make your dreams a reality. I'm like, so many coaches out there. (laughs) That's what they talk about. Oh, I can help you make your dreams a reality. I can help you be your best self. And it's, what does that mean? Yes, yes. (laughs) It's the specificity that makes such a difference. It's clever Um, over clear. Exactly. I know I was looking at somebody's website this morning. It was I was having a meeting with someone in my network. We were having a one to one and they said, oh, I'm going to recommend you to this person. Just have a look at their website and to see is this the kind of business you want to be referred to. And I had a look at the website and immediately said, I can definitely help this person. They had a strap line under their logo. And I was just like, what does that even mean? I said, that's a classic example of a marketer trying to be clever. And they probably think that this is their USP, but it isn't. Either the business owner or a marketer thought that they were doing something to help and they're actually not helping at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, they're hindering because the more things that are on there that don't clarify and don't help people see they're in the right place, it just is going to be more likely that they're going to bounce off. So yes, I think the steps for me 
your own company marketing market dominating position and then look at and I would go with the high highest price course first. Okay. With the fewest number of people. Okay. Because you are expanding your list and that's great. You've got the skills to be able to do that. Like what a lot of people don't realize is from a list of 1200 people to get 12 of those people to buy a course would be a really great job. And because it's something you're running for the first time, you can probably have that number again. Oh, Because you don't yet have the social proof for that course. That makes sense. Now, I'm curious about the marketing, the company's marketing domination position that you said. Where would you look for that when you're visiting? Should we be putting that on our about page and... Homepage, above the fold, smacks you in the face the minute you land on it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like a tagline almost that describes it. It ought to be a headline and a subheadline. Okay. Yeah. With some kind of hero image or video. So there's a whole structure, depending on the type of business someone has, as to what would they do and what should they have on their homepage. So there's a whole process that bring clients through in getting to this. And so they're looking at lots of different aspects of their business and of their clients and their clients' wants and needs. And it's pulling all that together, but it then has to be incorporated into their sales process. Yes. And it's part of the a lot of the time with this, we do end up innovating their offer or offers to so that everything's in alignment and it works really seamlessly and you have somebody going, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to look any further. I have exactly what I need right here. So they're taking whatever that next step would be. Now, obviously with your course, that's going to be a separate landing page. So it If you don't know what a landing page is, there's no navigation on it. The idea is people, they go to that landing page, they consume the whole landing page, they click a button to do something, whether that's to opt in or to buy something or book a call, whatever it might be. So on your landing page, that market domination position is represented by a headline and subheadline will be for that course directed at that niche, that little pot of people that is, is going to work best for you for that offer. Yeah. So it's because that is going to be a subset of the core company. That's why I'm saying to start there. Okay. Because you, what you don't want to happen is that you have got two totally different market domination positions, two totally different audiences. That ends up being two different businesses <laughs> again. And you have enough businesses. I was going to say, I you don't, don't need, need any more. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need any more. And that's why I'm saying start with the company market domination position and then go, okay, here's my core offer of the one-to-one services, the one-to-one done-for-you services that we do. And then for those people who want that guided DIY, then here's the offer and we're maybe taking a subset. You may even find as a result of doing this that you actually niche down a lot more because the more specific you can be, the better your business will grow. Oh, yes. I have definitely noticed that. (laughs) Yes. I focus on working with creatives. In reality, I would say probably about 60% of my clients actually fall into that creative pot. Other people are attracted by the messages. For sure. And they go, oh, can you help me with that too? Now, as long as I don't need to change my business model or my offerings to do that, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. If If I needed to change something, the answer is no. I'll, let me recommend somebody else. And then that way you get to, yeah, I think so often people are afraid 
to niche down. And niching doesn't always have to be an industry or a profession, by the way. There's different ways you can niche. But just having that really tightly defined niche with a very strong market domination position, all of a sudden you cannot compare apples to apples because you're not an apple. You're an orange or whatever fruit you like. (laughs) And what that means then is you cannot have the price comparison because what you're offering and the value that you are giving cannot be compared. You see, in the absence of that market dominating position, people compare on price because there's nothing else to judge. Should I use company A, B or C? They all seem to do the same thing. They all say they can help solve my problem. Okay, this one's the cheapest. I didn't resonate as much with this person as I did this other one. So I'm going to go with that one, but I'm going to see if they can do it for the price of the first person. Because like, why can't they? Like everything's the same as far as the person's concerned. Now, the internal reality of those companies could be very different, but because the external perception is the same, then this is why people start getting pushback on price. Absolutely. So how do you feel about doing all of this? It was something I knew I needed to do, but just like I offer my clients, I needed a reminder. Okay, come on. What are you doing? You know this. You're trying to tell your clients do this. Model it on your own website. I needed to hear it. And I was confused about the course because I haven't done one before. That was very helpful to understand that I also have to position it on the landing page. I think I'm just a victim of my own genius, right? That's what we are. When we know it, we just haven't explained it. And it does explain my conversions. I do very well when I have directly talked to people or had a discovery call or been introduced from someone else because they understand the story. But if they just come to my website, I'm not necessarily converting because case in point, I don't have it there. Exactly. Because what you talked about right now isn't on the website. Yes. It is, but it's hidden. It's not as clear as it should. It's not, it it's should not be obvious. everywhere. I agree. Yeah, it's not obvious. And that will be definitely affecting your web conversions. Yes. Which, from the, so here's the other thing, right? Imagine yourself a year from now and you've got that strong market dominating position. It's there on the homepage. Because the market dominating position isn't just about your marketing. It's also about your operations. Yes. Okay. So quite often you can't change your market dominating position without changing your operations as well. And that's why I'm trying to explain to people, this is not just a USP. So if we take Domino's and so they had their market dominating position of hot and fresh in 30 minutes or it's free. And that was extremely powerful and absolutely catapulted them. But they actually located themselves in high student population Mm -hmm, areas. mm -hmm. They had particular ways of, they had their outlets had no seating. They had small outlets. It was mainly kitchen, just a pickup counter. So all those kinds of things, that they're actually still doing those things, even though they're not allowed to have that strap line, <laughs> that that's a market dominating position anymore. They Someone had an accident and they got sued. Oh. So yeah, that's why you don't see that anymore. But the thing is, like that worked for years and years and got them to the, the position that they have in the marketplace now. And apparently... When they first started doing that, the pizzas weren't even very good, but they were targeting students who they knew they just wanted it hot and fresh. It didn't have to even be particularly tasty. They were just hungry because they'd been to a bar or they'd been studying (laughs) or whatever they'd been up to. And they knew that they just wanted it fast. And of course, the excitement of possibly getting it free. I remember setting my timer. Oh, they're 30 (laughs) seconds started. They're here. (laughs) 
So that's the thing is that we need to take a holistic view of this and look at our business. It's not just your message. It's totally about what you do and how you do it and why you do it that way. But it has to be all focused on the customer, of course. Mm -hmm. And that Um, actually reminded me of my pilot, people and big picture. That should be mm. part of my message, too. Yep. Somehow. I got to think about this. In the shower, it will come to me or on a walk. But I think that's important because that's why I identify with it, because that's what I want the business to be. And as you said, holistic, not only people, my clients, people, my team. Yes. Culture of VR marketing services. We are people oriented and connecting. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean that every person in the team, like you want to have a balance of people in your team, obviously. Right, they're not flow, but the business flow, I guess, or ideal is to offer it to our clients who identify with that. Would you say that's more accurate? Yes, it's. I just wanted to make sure that listeners didn't think that, oh, I should have, if I have a people-focused business, I should have everybody that's extroverted. Ah, yes, no. no. In fact, so I just wanted to make that clear for people. And I'm not extroverted. (laughs) I consider myself introverted. Just so when I say people, I'm not talking about being loud on a platform and extroverted. I'm talking about sometimes introverts are even better at one-on-one connections and really... That can be very true. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you are more introverted than extroverted, you're not a pilot because pilots are more extroverted than they are introverted. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I can be extroverted when I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. I'm extroverted. My business persona is a pilot, but perhaps when it comes to me at night and I'm knitting on my couch, I'm more of the South, the sub, what was it? The tactical one. Sensational. Sensational. Mm. Interesting how we have different parts for different aspects of our life as well. Here's what I would say is that you will have one primary profile and then you have you on either side of that, you have what we call secondary profiles. And so just if you imagine the primary profile as being the body of a plane Mm -hmm. and the secondary profiles as being the wings, Mm -hmm. in order to get somewhere, sometimes you need to lean on one wing to go in the direction you want to go. But you don't stay there. If you stay there, what happens? You go around in circles. (laughs) Right. So no one wants to be going around in circles. I am an extrovert and I am a pilot. In fact, (laughs) that's my primary profile. And so I sew as a hobby. I make my own vintage inspired clothes. And it's really interesting because there are times when I will spend a few hours in my studio sewing stuff and making alterations not altering clothes but making pattern alterations to for fitting and all that kind of stuff but then I also do it very social sociably I have a sewing Instagram account at so vintage glam if anyone wants to follow it <laughs> and I, I have made sewing friends I go for walks with them and in fact now that things have opened up a bit more I'm going to go back to kind of meeting people I had a few kind of meetings with other sewists before the pandemic and I do it in a social way but I will also have those times when I am happy to just shut out the world and just be in flow focusing on that No matter how extroverted a person is, if you were with people and talking all the time, that's like eating an all-you-can-eat buffet all day long. We all need to allow digestion to take place. So there are times when I, in the evenings, if I've had a lot of meetings or interviews and I'm like, I don't really feel like talking very much. (laughs) We all need a break. If you think of the sun and the moon, 
we only see the moon when it's dark, but it's still there. Elizabeth, it's been fantastic talking with you. What has been the most significant thing for you in our conversation today? Oh my gosh, we talked about so much. I think that the compass was really enlightening for me. It has, I have questions and I have clarity at the same time, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yep. That's the thing is that you've watched some training about what flow is. You don't yet know for sure what your profile is. And that's probably where those questions are coming from. Yeah, I'm feeling into this, but then you'll say something like, oh, but maybe I'm more, more this. So it, but it's good. <laughs> I like to be challenged. That's how we grow. If I knew everything, totally. I'd be dead. I, like it, no point of going on. I, there's always yes. room for growth and seeing the world in a different way. That's how we get better. I couldn't agree more. That's my attitude too. (laughs) Fantastic. Elizabeth, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And I think there's been some real, real little nuggets of gold for people to listen to and think about and go and implement in their own businesses. Where can people find you? You can find me at ermarketingservices.com. And if you would like to see how I can help you market your business, just click on the contact form and you will immediately be sent once you submit it, a link to my calendar and check your junk mail if you don't get it right away, but it will be immediately sent. And I'd love to chat and see how I can help you. Fantastic. And as always, we will put those in the show notes. Elizabeth, thank you very much. Best of luck with your course. I look forward to hearing how you get on with it all. That's it for today. Bye for now. That's all for today, folks. Have you subscribed to get more of this juicy goodness for your business? If not, tap that button now. Remember to check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Did you enjoy and find value in this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed with coaching and workshops based on my impact-driven growth model. Want to know how I can help you to double your profits without spending a penny more on marketing or ads? Let's arrange to hop on a call to discuss your goals and challenges, and I'll show you how. Plus, when you book, I'll send you some free training videos too. Go book now at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.